Welcome everybody to the Groundswell Show, and I am so excited to have my good friend Kyle Ike here. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here, man. It's so great to have you on the show. And Major Kyle Ike is a uh, fighter pilot with the U.S. Air Force, and uh, now he's he's transitioning to uh, commercial piloting. But uh, Kyle, we've been uh, good friends and we were best friends in, in high school and you were one of my greatest friends of all time and we recently reconnected and when we did I thought oh my gosh people need to hear from you and I'd love to have more conversations with you so thanks for thanks for joining me today thanks buddy yeah it's honored to be here and yeah I agree our friendship has been uh long spanning even though yeah sure there was a little gap in time where we had a chance to communicate but good friendships last uh beyond the years like that so you're one of those great friends that the saying holds true where like great friends, you might not talk to them for a while, but when you do, you pick right back up where you that's left right. off. And it's like we hung you're out one yesterday. of those few people that's very true. And I yeah. so appreciate that about you. And um, so I'm so grateful for you. And I, you flew F-15s, you're a fighter pilot. And I, you know, in this show, we're all about answering the question, how do you forward God's kingdom in the 165 hours you're not in church? And I want to know from you, how did you forward God's kingdom as a fighter pilot? Because I know you're uh, on fire for God Christian. Uh, you love Jesus. Um, but you've been serving the U.S. military and the US, U.S. as a country in this really specialized capacity that very few people ever get a chance to. And so I, I'm really curious to pick your brain about uh, how you uh, serve God in that way. And... Um, and how you even got there? I mean, how is it that you that you became a fighter pilot? I know some of the early story, but talk about that even from childhood. How did you want to like? What was that like for you? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So, uh, yeah, so it did start. There's, you'll you'll talk to different people and how they got started, and some of them didn't dream about it as as a kid, um, but but I did. Uh, it really was triggered by a couple um things in my life my dad you know as in you know a lot of boyhood dreams developing is you know their their father spurring that on in them so my dad started taking me to air shows you know we we talk about jets we you know look at books and pictures of jets and things like that and then uh my uncle so my dad's oldest brother also had a real um excitement about uh, aerospace and, and fighter jets in particular and so he kind of helped that uh, spur down in me as well just by by his nature and wanting to be around that stuff. And he also, he actually had career aspirations to go to the Air Force Academy and be a, um, a pilot. And uh, I think along the way, some, I don't know, it was like eyesight or just a few things kind of um, steered him away from that. Um, but he always had kind of that desire and that's, his influence is really what kind of put it into perspective for me that like, that's something you can really dream about and aspire to be. Uh, so between the two of them and then just, you know, other mentors along the way, um, that's kind of what got me started on that path and made me want to become a, a pilot in general. Um, and then honestly, man, it was, uh, we could talk about this more here. I'm sure we will, but you know, I think that God, um, often calls us by giving us a desire to do something, you know, it's, hmm. uh, there's also other cases, you know, you look at Moses in the Bible and he did not have a desire to go speak to, you know, Pharaoh and, uh, that doesn't work out for everyone that way. But for me specifically, he just, I feel like he planted that desire in my heart. 
um, and what ultimately spurred me on or ultimately pushed me to make that final decision to go pursue this career was uh, Mission Stoker in Romania when we were back in ninth grade. Um, back to the beginnings of our friendship, um, we went with uh, with the youth group at our church. And man, when I just got over there and saw how uh, things were in other countries for the first time, it just um, caused me to kind of overflow with this just this pride in, in, in patriotism for our country and wanting to give back and be part of that. So that's what sealed the deal for me. And from then on, it was, you know, one foot for the other to pursue that career. Oh, it's interesting. I didn't know that about the mission trip. And yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah, it was wow. pretty, pretty wild experience. So, And I love your summary statement. Like God often calls us by putting the desires in our heart. And that's a really, really powerful statement. I think that, and that's really helpful for a lot of people who are trying to discern in, what's God calling me to next? I, it's interesting. Calling is interesting because it's, it people face a calling question at different stages of their life. Like yeah. we're talking about early years, childhood to career. But I think even people who are facing retirement are often, will often ask themselves the same question. Like what's God calling me to next now that the career is over. Yeah. And that's a profound statement to say, Hey, check out the desires in your heart. If mm -hmm. you're really serving the Lord, those can be a faithful tell of what to do. And, and I think you, was it six years old that you first wanted to do be a fighter pilot? Is that when your dad and uncle started to really tell yeah. you what age? You know, that's actually a good question. Um, that's probably about right. Uh, I couldn't pinpoint an exact age or date or time. It was just like a, a process, mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, whatever age young boys are able to comprehend and understand jets mm -hmm. and tractors and trains and things like that. I think that's yeah. probably when it started. Um, my earliest memories are definitely after we were five years, I was five years old. Cause I can remember being in the house we lived in and, and the things that, you know, little with these little, like, um, I don't know, quarter sheet size, little fact cards about fighter jets that I had in a little container in my closet that my parents had given me. And I remember that being like, I just sit there and look through those, you know, till the sun will go yeah. down. And, um, so yeah, it was really early on, definitely five or six years old is probably when that, that began. That's amazing. And so yeah. um, when we were in high school and you were pursuing this, we were both applying to colleges and you're applying to the Air Force Academy. And um, that's a really exclusive process uh, to even get accepted to the Air Force Academy or, or, and then the whole journey to become a fighter pilot and very few people make it. Can you talk about that journey for you? And and especially how is it that the how that you felt God leading you and guiding you along the way? Yeah, great question. Uh, I, I've got a few uh, things story-wise yeah. for that. So uh, initially, just so that people kind of know where I went from there, um, I, I pursued initially the Air Force Academy. Um, but then, as you know, I, I ended up going to a state school in New, in New York. Um, the Air Force Academy just, like you said, is very elite, very difficult to get into you need there's a whole process you need like a, your congressman to give you an appointment and all this stuff and and frankly between you, you did and me that and, though like you went through it i'm and i remember like the secret the the military officers like interviewing me as your friend as a character right. reference so, like you did all that stuff so that was it was actually different so i initially went looking at the academy but i changed course to go to do air force rtc Mm -hmm. And the reason they interviewed you is because I was applying for a scholarship so that they would pay for mm. school. So that was, it's a, it's a similar process, um, but slightly less um, involved than trying to go to the Air Force Academy. 
Um, and so that's that that all ended up working out, and I was fortunate and blessed to get a, a scholarship um, for school. And then uh, and then I just did you know the four year school thing, and then uh, commissioned into the Air Force and went on from there. So, um, but uh, back to going backwards a little bit to your to your question, kind of the way that God was leading me there. So, what ended up when I made the decision not to go to the academy and that I was going to do Air Force ROTC and go to you know a normal normal person school, if you will. Uh, I had three options, you know, and I remember the school that I ended up going to, the state school there was uh, was really the tertiary. It was like last on my list, and it was like my my safety school, if you will, even though it was the hardest one to get into, um, which is ironic. And I'd I'd uh, I had a Gideon moment back in like eleventh grade, and I was like, God, if you want me to go to this school, then then I'll get the scholarship that only allows me to go to that school because there was like a uh, there are different tiers of Air Force scholarships, and there was one scholarship that would only pay my tuition if I went to an in-state school. My other schools were like Gordon College in Massachusetts and I think Cedarville University uh, in Ohio. So I had these other schools that were out of state and really expensive. Long story short, I get the scholarship that only allows me to go to this state school. Go figure, right? And uh, and I remember I remember that moment opening the letter. Uh, in fact, it was right after we were at our friend's Bible study down the street uh, on a Saturday night, and I opened the letter. And uh, sure enough, it was that school. And I just remember feeling disappointed, but also this like sense of relief slash peace slash finality almost like, well, <laughs> I prayed about this and this was the decision I was supposed to make. And so that's the school I'm going to. And the next day that was it. Like I I decided I'm going to that school. Uh, and then fast forward, you know, it ended up, dude, That that's like the, the story that I tell people for how God really just orchestrated everything in my life because I ended up um, meeting my wife at that school. I ended up um, realizing that school is funny. Uh, the funny thing is I actually went to the secular school, right? Versus the Christian's colleges that I had picked out. And I, my faith grew more there than it would have for, for sure. Those other schools. I remember that. I remember yeah. like, cause we'd visit each other. We were actually fairly close. And so I went to a Bible school. That's right. Yeah. So I want to be, you know, pastor preacher. Yeah. And, yeah, I remember you were like more on fire every time you come back from yeah. break from that, you know, that public college. I thought, what? Yeah. I was ha really happy about it, but it was it was so cool to watch. Mind blowing, man. It was uh, it was a crazy experience because when you when you get into a battleground like that, you know, in a secular campus uh, where it's really very anti God in many ways. Um, I was so blessed to have a good group of really solid Christians around me mm -hmm. that I met through university there and. Uh, and one of them is a, he was a biology major and he now actually um, has a ministry that he's running that's very focused on like creation science and apologetics and things. And so um, because of that, that really is what grounded my faith uh, because I got really into that and, and learned a lot about uh, apologetics and, and creation. And that's actually become a real passion of mine now. And fast forward to my time in the Air Force, if it hadn't been for that, I, I trust that God would have, you know, kept me um, close in other ways to my faith, but, but that really is what grounded me in college to then prepare me to be in, you know, in the, in the midst of being a fighter pilot and having a firm foundation in that I know that there is no way that this world exists without God creating it. Um, therefore, my faith is strong no matter what, you know, yeah. trials and tribulations come up. So. Yeah, and then what I hear in your story too is so amazing is like where God calls you, he provides for you and he'll strengthen your faith along the way, no matter what the environment is. Like, you know, looking back, I went to Christian schools. We were like worried about losing our faith in college. And I guess if yeah. you're worried about that, you probably won't. 
<laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, we were, and I think there's a lot of people who are watching this who are, uh, you know, they know people who've lost their faith in college, but so it's very real risk. But you know, like you said, you where you sense God calling you had that peace. God made a way for it to actually work the other way and strengthen your faith. So so powerful. Yeah. So so I want to know. So along the way, I remember you were doing Air Force ROTC and towards the end it started ramping up into where they're going to actually place you and so there's all these cutoff points where you know either make the cut to be that pilot or not talk about that process and how god was involved with that yeah yeah um so that process begin it really begins when you start rtc as a you know as a freshman or a sophomore there's different gates where you can come into the program uh but the real defining the moment where it all really kind of starts to get real is your junior year because that's when you put in your app you basically just put in an application for lack of better terms to say that, Hey, I want to be a pilot. Uh, then there's a handful of tests you have to take. There's an air force officer qualifying test. It's called, and it's, it's like an SAT on steroids and you sit in a room for five hours and take a standard test. Uh, it's your, it's, you know, and there's a couple components to that that are different than an SAT. They're focused on like pilot skills and things and, you know, reading maps and doing math and stuff. So uh, you have to get a minimum qualifying score on that. And then you have to, um, take a, basically an aptitude test that involves essentially a video game to make sure that you got some hand-eye coordination and you can do more than one thing at once. Um, and then they also take any flight hours that you've had outside of, you know, ROTC, if you've flown any airplanes and they, they aggregate that all into a, into a score that they call a PIXM. I don't know what that stands for. It's a, it's an acronym, but you can look it up online. And, uh, and then they send that up with your application and then a bunch of people somewhere in the country, sit down with all the applications and, and then you get racked and stacked and then, Hey, we got this many pilot slots for these many people. And if you were above the line and made the cut, you get a slot. And if not, you're either an alternate or you're told, thanks, no thanks. Um, you know, go do something else. Um, through that process, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. That's the global <laughs> term. That's right. Uh, so if you, uh, throughout that process is really the only thing you can do. And the only thing that I did is you just, you just try to do well in ROTC, which really just means, um, you try to work on your leadership skills and try to be a good leader amongst your peers. And uh, what dude, does that I, mean to you though? Like be a good, just a caveat, like that's, be a good yeah. leader. What, what does that mean to you? So for me, it's changed a lot. I'll tell you that mm. in college, I look back to my college and my leadership and you're learning and you're all gung ho, you know, and, uh, back then to me, it meant uh, being in charge and earning the respect of the people around you so that you could essentially motivate them to achieve a common goal. Right. That's kind of like your standard leadership um, book answer, if you will. Since then, uh, I've come to see it as my, uh, my innate leadership style is, is a servant leadership. Um, and for me now, leadership is taking care of people, simply put, wow. uh, taking care of the people around me and then taking care of other people that, you know, may not necessarily be directly, uh, impacted by me. Uh, and I think if you take care of people as a leader, then you're going to uh, empower them to do the things that they need to do to get whatever job done you're trying to reach towards. Not to mention, I would argue that Jesus is a servant. Uh, I think you'd probably agree with me and uh, as would most Christians. And uh, I think that emulates Jesus' uh, style the, the best. Not that you can't emulate Jesus as a different type of leader. I just found that being a servant uh, or trying to be a servant towards the people around you, um, particularly when you're leading them versus being the kind of leader where you're like, oh, you're going to do this because I told you to, or mm. that kind of style. It just doesn't work. It doesn't resonate with people. 
Um, and so I think I'm, I really migrated from early on feeling like, in fact, I told somebody one time, like, you need to listen to me and do what I say. Uh, <laughs> massive regret. And I actually found that individual. He was in my squadron seven years later. And from the day that I said that to him, I held on to that and told myself I was going to apologize to him for it when I found him. And sure enough, he walked down the hall one day. I show up in a new squadron. I'm like, holy smokes. And that's the first thing I said to him. And he had tears in his eyes when he left the squadron because him and I were so close. Um, wow. And had gone back so far, you know, that uh, it, it was very redeeming, which was great. So anyway, all I have to say wow. to answer your question as a leader, um, being a servant leader is really where I found my stride. And um, and then owning owning your mistakes, you know, as in that story, if you make a mistake as a leader, you just got to own it and it's okay. You're going to make mistakes. Um, but if you, if you try to, uh, you know, beat around the bush and pretend you didn't make the mistake or, or make an excuse for why you made it. You're just going to lose people's respect. And then, uh, and then, and then to bring this all together as a Christian, if you, if you treat people that way and you lose the respect uh, as a leader, then you're going to be a bad witness. Um, so uh, I think wow. that all comes back to how you represent Christ. There it is in a nutshell. That's so powerful. Um, I love how you won that guy over and wow. So, so yeah, you know, when I just, wow. to, to not give myself too much credit when when i apologized to him he was like i don't even remember that and so it wasn't like it was a it wasn't like it was a big deal um but you did it for you not probably, for him. yeah yeah and part of me thinks yeah. that he probably did remember it but in that moment when you when you i find when you apologize to someone like that they melt it, it doesn't matter how mad they were in the instance if you own it uh, and apologize to someone it's like they it all melts away and and it's just a really healing thing so um you have to do it meaningfully you can't just apologize to apologize obviously but uh but anyway yeah it was great so wow so back to the the journey to to pilot you're yeah you got all these tests all these aptitude tests and then and then you get a put your application in and you sit and wait and you got in yeah, I did. I got to remember getting a phone call sitting in humanities class one day and um, I walked out to go to the bathroom, which was really just to check my voicemail. And it was the the unit telling me that congrats, you got a pilot slot. Wow. Um, yeah, and that was it. All that hard work culminated in that moment. Um, How did that feel? Initially, uh, I mean, it was amazing. It was, uh, it was a, it just felt like it was becoming real it, so so all along the way you're you're just one foot in front of the other right to to achieve this this process right and so i've hit on a few of the things but really it's an everyday process of like getting up and working hard in high school and getting good grades and yeah uh, mm-hmm. all those kinds of things and then and then doing the research to figure out like how do i get into rotc and do all these things so without getting long-winded it felt like it was this is actually happening versus all along the way you're just one foot in front of the other day by day, just like, I don't know if this is actually going to work out. And, um, and frankly, dude, you know, I always thought of fighter pilots as the cream of the crop. Um, and I was like, I am not the cream of the crop, so mm. I am not going to probably make this happen, but I'm going to try anyway. And, uh, for anyone out there listening that has ever thought that I'm tell you, I am not the cream of the crop. I tell people I'm average on my best day. And so, um, I can tell you that, uh, if you just have the, the drive and the, and the desire to do it. And, and obviously if God ordains it, then it's going to happen. Uh, whether or not you, you know, are a high powered individual or you're average like me and have bad hair. So, you know, it's just the way it works. <laughs> so, wow. So 
I'm just absorbing all the things you're saying because it's really valuable. Uh, maybe you think you're average, but I I have a different opinion of you. Oh, thanks. Um, but and even even what you're saying, I think. Well, I think what you're saying is really helpful for people because it's like you don't. It doesn't really matter whether you think you're special or average or not. It's what you do with it, and you right. know, you're a huge. You described this faithful follow through of working hard and researching and going for it is sort of is really the most important thing which you, you did and and leaving it up to god now in that year you were saying that like i remember talking to you and you said like there was less pilot slots that year because they were downsizing things is that is that true and and how yeah that i can't remember exactly but i do remember there was um there were some issues with Manning and they, they had a too many people and there were some backlogs and things with training. Uh, I eat what I mean by that is there was just too many people, like you said. So I think it was somewhat competitive. Um, it's it, prior to that, it had been probably more competitive. So I think I kind of hit a, you know, it was an average level of difficulty to get in, to get a pot slot. Um, but not, not unachievable by any means. So, but then there was other cutoffs to like become a combat pilot. That's How right. That? Yeah. So that's, so after, so when you first find out you're going to get a pilot slot, that's like the, it's like the beginning of the mountain, right? Like you're at base camp mm -hmm. at Everest and you're like, I got a long ways to go. So, um, just to quickly step through after that, you got to go to a medical, um, exam. That's like a two day thing in Ohio and it's very extensive and they poke and prod you and find all the ways that maybe you wouldn't be able to cut it as a pilot. And, any health issues. I was fortunate and blessed to make through that um, unscathed. There was no issues. Um, and so that's the next cut kind of to towards becoming a combat pilot. Uh, and then from there, it's really just graduate uh, college and then go off to pilot training. Um, mm -hmm. And then once you get to pilot training, there's a few, it, it's changed since I went through. So I'll try to kind of talk um, kind of a mix of things when i went through i got there and then you go through an initial flight screening they call it in in colorado where you fly a small airplane um for about 20 hours and you need to be able to solo it safely to to make it through that training i uh, now that training is a little different uh i won't speak to it because i'm not an expert on it um but once you get through that initial training then you basically have a year of pilot training mm -hmm. um and so you spend a year flying a couple different aircraft uh i was fortunate to basically <clears throat> In order to become a fighter pilot, you have to have trained in the T-38, which is a fighter jet trainer. So everyone starts out in the T-6, which is a basically a prop airplane. You do about five months in that. And then after you get done with that, you're racked and distracted with your peers. And then anyone that wants to go fly fighters, um, you know, puts puts that they want to go to T-38s or whatever. And then you do what's called a track select where, um, you know, however many of you, however many T-38 or fighter pilots they need, they'll take that many out of this class from the top you know, in the ranking, if you make the cut, you go to T-38s. Otherwise you go on to, at the time it was the T-1, which is like a, basically a private jet, business jet looking trainer, mm -hmm. trainer jet. And, uh, but those of us that, you know, the top, I think there was five of us that got the T-38. And so you go do another five months in the T-38, which is basically learning how to fly a jet. And then once you get through that, depending on how well you do, you can, you make a, a dream sheet, we call it, where you put, you know, number one through however many airplanes are available. And if you want to be a fighter pilot, you'd obviously put the fighter jets at the top of that list. If you don't want to do that, then you'd put something else. Um, and then once you get done with that, so for me, yep, uh, I, there is a tertiary, a third option that uh, typically people don't want to do a week. In the Air Force, we call it the dirty F word. It's uh, FAPE, which is an acronym. F-A-I-P stands for First Assignment Instructor Pilot. 
And so what that means is you stay at pilot training for the next three years as your first assignment and you teach at pilot training. So you've just graduated pilot training. Now you go to a training course for four months and you teach. So I was selected to do that. Um, for me personally, that was actually really exciting because I knew I wanted to teach. I wasn't really sure what fighter jet I wanted to fly and I didn't feel super confident in my abilities coming out of T-38s. So it was a period of seasoning for me, which was fantastic. Um, I found in that, that three-year assignment that I have a real passion and desire to teach people. I love teaching. So it was really God's blessing in my life to get that assignment because I wouldn't have known any of that about myself without going through that. Uh, so that was amazing. Uh, did that for three years. And then from there, again, you get racked and stacked amongst all your peers that are instructor pilots there. And then that's where you put, you know, this is my first aircraft through whatever. And so that was the, finally the point where I put a 15 E strike Eagles as my number one aircraft choice, with a you know, bunch of other ones behind it. And I was fortunate to be, you know, get selected for the F 15 E. And then from there it was just the rest is history. You know, I go to training for that. And then, um, that's about nine nine months plus another three months once you get to your squadron so about a year of training and then and you go to war so talk about that what was the what was the greatest joy of being an f-15 pilot and what was the the greatest difficulty um it's a good question the I, i'll tell you the greatest difficulty is I mean, there's a lot of difficult things about it uh, the training is challenging. Uh, the greatest difficulty about being a fighter pilot is is something I don't think people realize. You watch Top Gun, which most people are familiar with, and that's kind of their reference for being a fighter pilot. Um, it's not uh, just about the flying. You're not just flying an airplane uh, and raging around the skies and going fast. Uh, this, the flying is, tertiary, is, is secondary. Not even secondary. It's like last. You're not even thinking about the flying. It's like... Um, the focus is on the tactics and the employing the jet as a weapon system. So what I mean by that is you're, uh, <clears throat> while you're flying the airplane, you're running a radar, which is like a screen in the, just as a screen in the cockpit that shows you all the stuff that's out there. Um, and then you're trying to move a bunch of buttons and switches to take radar locks. And then you're deciding, okay, can I shoot this person? Can I not shoot this person with a missile? Or we're trying to target something on the ground and you're worried about, okay, where are the friendlies and where are the bad guys? And am I bombing the right thing? And am I, am I not, am I even clear to release this bomb? And then meanwhile, you're worried about the other airplanes that are in the sky. Um, there's just a lot of things going on in, in the cockpit that aren't flying related. So, um, flying, you really don't get to enjoy and sit and enjoy the flying. You're just, it's just a world of other things happening. So, so that was the hard part for me. That's right. There was a ton of details and there's a ton of things you got to memorize and know, and I won't bore you with all that, but the hardest part to answer your question was the tactics and all the other stuff outside of the flying. The greatest joy for me, um, the, the best moment of my career was April 18th, 2019, day after my wife's birthday, coming home for my first deployment. I'd been gone for almost seven months at that point and um, being able to fly a jet across um, the world essentially to come back home from that deployment was just, it was like the culmination of everything I'd ever desired and worked for. Uh, to be able to have gone to war and then come back and land and have my wife, you know, greet me at the fighter, at, literally at the bottom of the stair, the ladder when I shut the jet off. And um, man, that was just the deployment itself was cool and it was exciting, but coming home from it was just really the best moment uh, of my career. Wow. That was really fun. Wow, so. that's so powerful. It's, it's so 
it's just cool. I love hearing hearing about your your stories and your thought process. So, um, and to be specific, like you, what were the combat scenarios that you fought in that people might know about? Um, you know, there's that you're allowed to say. I, yeah, I guess the biggest thing. So back in 2018, 2019, when I did that that deployment, um, that was really when ISIS was a was a real hotbed over there in Syria, and so. Uh, big picture view. I we essentially were over there flying and trying to um, trying to help eradicate ISIS. Uh, okay. We we were there at a time when um, at the time President Trump had basically announced that we were going to leave Syria, and so there was a big push to to do as much as we could with the time that we had left over there. Uh, turns out that ended up not happening. Obviously, as we see, you know, we're still over there um, doing some things, but. That was essentially that time period when when the president had announced we were leaving, we weren't, we weren't going to be in Syria anymore. If people remember that, that was the time frame I was over there. So there was just a lot of a lot of ISIS was still a significant threat. They had established their caliphate in the eastern part of Syria. And so we were trying to essentially uh, if you look at a map of that time of ISIS territory along the Euphrates River, there's a big it was just a swath of red, which was their, all their territory. And we were essentially just trying to decrease the amount of red over there and make that map look, you know, not red anymore with ISIS territory, and so, uh, and so that's what we did, and we were able to achieve that, which was uh, which was pretty cool. So, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, so how bring it back to the the kingdom? And all, all this is you serving the Lord. That's right. Um, how how did you forward God's kingdom? as a fighter pilot in, in this space. And how, and how did, I guess another more specific question is how did you represent Jesus while doing this? You know? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, I had better days. I had good days and bad days, right. As a sure. standard human. So um, I do not, I do not profess to be uh, this, you know, holy Christian that was uh, a constant representation of Christ. I absolutely made mistakes. Um, and, um, but in general, my, maybe not in general, but my desire was always to, I had this mission statement for myself that I still try to adhere today. Uh, and it, it's not necessarily a Bible verse or anything, but it was to be an asset to the people around me. And that was derived from my desire to be uh, a light uh, for Christ. And so I tried to live every day um, from the, the standpoint of, so whatever you do, uh, basically do it all for the glory of God. And I felt like the way to do that was to make sure that I'm being an asset to the people around me and helping the people around me so that they can see that I care about them and that I want to serve them and, and there to help them. And I always tried to make sure I never said things like, that's not my job. I'm not going to do that. Um, I never, I never wanted someone to think that I wasn't going to do something, you know, wholeheartedly. Um, and then I wasn't going to do something uh, to help someone just to, just when people were looking, i.e. I wasn't going to do something just for the credit. I was going to do something um, because I wanted to truly be, be helpful to them, to be an asset. Hmm. And I felt like that was the best way I could represent Christ because really that's how Christ lived in a lot of ways is being an asset to people around him. Obviously, he was an asset to all of us uh, across all of history. Um, mm -hmm. And so I thought that was my, my little minute way I could do that. And then interweaved in there, then people um, hopefully saw something different. And then it would give me at, at times, you know, opportunities to, to share my faith. 
And uh, the coolest part about it is that even to this day, still people will sometimes, um, I will have never told them that I'm a Christian, not that I'm hiding it. It just, you know, I, right. it didn't necessarily come up. Um, but they, they just know it's like, I, I've never told them that. And then they just assume I go to church, which is true. And, um, in fact, somebody called me the other day on the phone to do something at a job I've been doing recently. And she, she told me after the fact that she, it was a Sunday afternoon and she called me and she felt hesitant to call me because she knew I was probably at church. And I was like, I never told you I went to church, but she just knew. And so it's, I think all, all this to say, I'm getting long winded, but basically the point is that, um, to, to represent Christ and the way that I tried to forward the kingdom is by, is by making myself an asset to people around me so that they felt like I was someone they could trust. And basically without them knowing it, I'm representing Christ. And then when push comes to shove down the road, if they are having a bad day or having trouble, or they were just engaged in conversation, I can weave in some things that I, what I believe and, and, um, and they'll hopefully see that difference in me. So. That's phenomenal. Be an asset to the people around you. That is That's a great it. mission statement. I might have to steal that. Thanks, that is man. fantastic. Please do. Anyone can It's fantastic. It. Yep. It's fantastic because it's so perfect, but it's so simple and it's not stupid and religious. It's, that's great. Yeah. And I, what I love about it too is, it, and I, I know this from, I mean, when we met, my memory of our meeting is ninth grade history class, global that's history. Right. I turn around. You're wearing, it looked like an Abercrombie and Fitch sweatshirt, but it's like a breadcrumb and fish. And I thought Bread this guy yep. is a serious believer. I mean, of all the people in the world, eighth and ninth graders can be the most ruthless people. And to represent yeah. your faith with a, with a sweatshirt, this guy's the real deal. And I knew, and I was you know just fresh from Christian school in this huge public school. And I thought right. we are going to yep. be friends. And uh, so, but you really do love the Lord. You really do love Jesus. You have the whole time I've known you. And, and so, but I love how you, you, that idea that Jesus is the most valuable asset, right? Like he's an asset to everybody. And that goes back to that Matthew 20 principle where he says the greatest among you be servant of all. I didn't come yeah. to be served, but to give my life as a ransom, right? A ransom payment, an asset, an exchange of assets for your, the value of your life. And, uh, but you mobilize that in the mission statement and, and walked it out in um the military space the government space plus you you i love how you on that mission trip to romania you you saw it together you saw that you could serve the lord and your country at the same time uh, right in this way that was a childhood aspiration yeah. that's a profound aha that you had and uh so well thank you for your service um oh, yeah but, you're welcome thank you for sharing that. so what about what was the time could you think of a time when uh, you had maybe an interaction with a person or a team where you really felt like uh, you were able to be that asset, like maybe one story that stands out to you where you really, the way you wanted to be an asset for them, you you were in a Christ-like way. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of little things. And, and honestly, there's probably more things that I don't know about. Um, um, one example I can think of off the top of my head and. You know, if my friend ever watches this, he's going to know who he is and it's going to look like I'm bragging and I'm not. Uh, I'm asking I'm not you. I'm trying to drag this know. out of you. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah uh, one, one specific example that I can think of is, we, so just to give a little bit of background, one of the, the majority of your time as a fighter pilot is spent in a secure facility. So a place with no windows, one door, and all of the secrets. That's the right? opposite so, of what people think. Right? Exactly That's... right. That's also <laughs> important for people to know. And I would spend 12 to 15 hours a day in that vault Monday through Friday. So except for when you're flying. 
so uh, obviously somebody has to be on duty in there. So we would call it the uh, the weapons duty officer, where you're you're basically manning a desk inside of the secure facility, and you're responsible for making sure that the people coming in and out aren't you know someone trying to steal our secrets, and they should be in there. And you're also the one in charge of like making sure it's it's closed up properly at the end of the evening when everyone's gone. So that can be kind of a thankless, really not fun job. And so when you're, so when you're in training, so this, this happened when I was in F-15 training and um, those of us that are students were always the ones doing that job, right? So this was uh, half the course you spend flying at night. So this friend of mine was, was sitting at the desk and he was gonna be there till probably 11 or 12 at night. At the time, my wife and I didn't have any kids and he had like, I can't remember if he had two or if they had their third kid yet. I think they had two kids at home. And I just thought to myself, you know, it'd be a real bummer if he's got to sit here all night in this dark room for no good reason uh, when he could be home putting his kids to bed. And so I just, I called my wife and I asked, I was like, hey, would you be okay if I stay late and, you know, sit the desk for this guy? And she's like, yeah, absolutely, go do it. Um, and then I went in and told him, hey man, you should go home. I got nothing else going on tonight. I'm going to sit the desk and uh, you go spend time with your kids and put them to bed. And so, um, and and I truly did that you know I, tr I try to look for opportunities like that all through my career yeah for the credit just just purely to help people out and so and now i'm going to get credit for it because i'm saying it out loud but um but that you that's always been like this. The things. you oh you were like that with for me when we were in high school i remember one time we were lifting weights we love lifting weights together yeah. we were lifting that church basement and i was yeah, you know right. ego training and i pulled my levator scap sprained my neck so bad and you were so kind that not only I mean, you might have laughed like initially, but you you literally held my head and helped me lay down on a bench. Like I, well, I still I remember, remember that. that. Like, that's crazy. You yeah. literally held my head and lovingly helped me lay my head down on a bench because I was in such pain. I'll never forget that. And and you've always been the kind of person that you even like saying this or saying this about you is like makes you uncomfortable because you didn't do it for the the credit. And yeah. But I say that I think that this is profound. Like, and you're great at teaching. I think this is a great teaching item for people who feel called to for God's kingdom, but they also have a desire to serve in the military or serve in in government or in these places that are certainly not churchy. And right. this great is a great, a great avenue and a great example for how they might see themselves uh, doing God's kingdom work in those spaces. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's really, really great. Absolutely. I got to ask you another question. Yeah, yeah. You, when we talked earlier, you talked about this idea of being, um, in some cases, too humble in a way that might actually not serve the people uh, that you're on a team with or partner with. And it's funny you said it because like, what I like about you, Kyle, I like so many things, but you, the whole time I've known you, you don't have a fighter pilot personality. You're not egotistical. You're not arrogant. You're not narcissistic. You're super other-centered and humble. And so we always used to tease you too about that because it's like, well, you don't really have the right, quote, personality That's right. to, yeah. to do this. Yeah. And yet you, you, here you are, you've done it, and now you're entering into commercial piloting. You've, you've done the thing and done it well. Um, and if I remember correctly, your call name was Shepherd, right? Didn't they make sure. that your your call name? That's right. Yeah. So, like, yeah. What, what better representation of what you're talking about being asked to tell us? But um, I guess where I was going with that was you, um, yeah, you mentioned about being too humble, and can you talk about that and and what you discovered that was better than that? Yeah. Uh, 
that has always been something on my heart because I didn't want, I, when you live with arrogance and, and the pride kind of is, is clear to people, which we all struggle with pride, right? Like just it's human nature it's and human, yep. right. When you, but when you aren't aware of it, you're not self-aware and, and uh, recognizing yourself, other people are going to see it. And then it just really causes a lot of issues. And so I was always really paranoid about that um, to a fault. Like you just uh, addressed, it was brought to my attention uh, a few different, a few different ways. Uh, there's a Navy SEAL commander, uh, Jocko Willink, fate, real famous uh, speaker, uh, if you've ever heard of him. And he talks about uh, humility being um, not thinking of yourself, uh, sorry, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Uh, and I always thought that was a really good way of putting it. And so I kind of helped shift my narrative on what, how I thought about humility and becoming less self-deprecating, if you will. And then two other things happened. I went to a training, uh, when you're a captain in the air force, you need to go to an officer school to learn how to be a better leader. And at that training, you get peer feedback. It's part of the course where your peers give you feedback, uh, you know, on paper and cold and hard, here's what you are bad at. And it's great. And I was told that basically by my flight commander and some of them, it all kind of tied together. Basically like when I got through that course, my flight commander, the guy in charge of it told me like, Hey, if you've been the same, the second half of the course is, or sorry, the first half of the course, you've been the second half of the course, you have done really well here. Um, because first half, I was so afraid of showing up and being like a really arrogant and, and trying to chase getting being like number one in the class. I was so afraid of that, that I actually became, I was really, I went the other direction with it when he really highlighted that. And so I recognized that like, man, if you, if you try to be too humble, you become self deprecating and then you lose people's respect doing that as well. And then my wife also, my wife is an amazing, amazing woman, you know, her and, and, um, man, she is just a saint and she has done so much for helping me learn more about myself and highlighting things. And she always said that, um, it's essentially insulting. I'm insulting her by being self-deprecating being the way I am, because it basically says that, um, she did a bad job of, of assessing and selecting a, a husband, because what I'm essentially saying is that when I'm being self-deprecating and saying that, you know, like, well, you know, you settled for me and I'm not a good husband or whatever, right. Then, um, then she essentially did a bad job selecting a husband is essentially what I'm telling her. Uh, and she can't make her own, she made a bad decision. And so that's insulting to her. And I was like, man, that's so true. And that's, and so all those things combined essentially is, is to say that, um, I had to learn that being too humble really backfires and almost looks like you're having a pity party for yourself. And it can almost sometimes be perceived too um, that you're just trying to be woe is me and no one really wants to be around that attitude either. And you can't lead when you're acting that way because nobody, nobody's going to trust you then. So you have to find the sweet spot of, like Jocko says, I got to think less, uh, sorry, think of myself less, not think less of yourself. So don't be self-deprecating, but also consider other people's needs before your own. I guess is the best way to put that. Uh, and it yeah. took me a long time to learn that. And I think I have gotten better at it. Uh, I still, still need some work, um, but it's a daily, daily battle. Yeah. So what you were describing this, but I want to know like what specifically, what mindset have you adopted that allows you to strike that balance between being um, an asset to those around you without 
without minis- minimizing yourself, but showing up powerfully to be that asset. Yeah, okay. that's a, that, that's good. Um, so so we, I wouldn't say there's one specific thing, but the the general mindset is that uh, if I have found throughout my career, there have been so many times where I have tried to live that, be an asset out. I feel like I'm failing and not being doing a good job. And time and time again, I would find out when I'd have feedback with my commanders or something, they would say, hey, you're you know, top of this, this class, you're, you're doing a really good job. And then these opportunities would open themselves up because I was doing a good job and I had no idea. Like I really just thought I was, you know, whatever, not doing a good job. And so what I learned from that is that I need to stop viewing myself so, so low and just focus on being that asset and being helpful to the people around me. And they're not going to care what I look like or that I lost my hair or that I'm, you know, maybe I'm not the best at this, whatever other thing. But if, if I'm treating people well, uh, I'm exercising the golden rule, you know, um, treating other people how you want to be treated, right? Which is biblical. Mm-hmm. And and focusing on those things, then I can know in my heart and I can know in my, my, my mind and my psyche and my consciousness and the way I view myself, that like, if I focus on those things and focus on being a Christ follower and emulating mm-hmm. how he lived to the best of my ability, right? Knowing that I'm going to fail, then I have no reason to walk into a room and not feel, not feel, um, confident, mm-hmm. uh, in myself because, because that confidence can be derived from just having my identity in Christ and being focused on living how he would live. Because I know I've seen the evidence now of how that look, how that works out. And people, people don't hate you for that. And they don't sit there and think like, Oh, that guy, you know, um, I don't know, whatever self deprecating thing you can come up with in the moment that like, they're probably just thinking about how I don't have any hair. That's not what anyone's thinking. They're thinking like, hopefully they're thinking like, Oh, he's been really helpful. You know? Anyway. So all that to say, I, the mindset is that, um, focus on being helpful to people and being an asset to them. Uh, and you can be confident that you're, as long as you're doing it for the right reasons and focusing on that, that, that they're going to view you in a positive light. Uh, and then, um, try to be, uh, I'm for the word is escaping me introspective work on Try to be introspective so that you don't miss the opportunities to, to work on yourself when the time, when the time comes. So. So good. That's, and this is, I think this conversation, what things you've shared have been a tremendous asset to people uh, who are listening because the things you've shared can work anywhere in any setting, no matter how technical or specialized it is or um, how non-Christian it is. It's, it's, mm-hmm. and it's, and no one, like those things you shared about serving others, being an asset to others, being Christ-like. And the other major theme I hear is service. Like you said, servant-oriented leadership. And the other major theme is, is you're just passionate about learning and growing. And I think yeah. the, the common denominator of all those things is no one can stop you from doing any of them. No one can do them for you. And those things in general will always work and always help you be successful and especially successful at expanding God's kingdom. And, and, and you know, that, that people would know something of Jesus, even if it's just an ex, a, a Jesus like example. Yeah. through the through being like that so thank you kyle thank you so much for sharing this and um sharing your life and and where you've been and how it's gone and um how you forward god's kingdom as a as a fighter pilot and if you're out there if people are watching this and you're in in government or you're in military or you aspire to 
uh, I just encourage you to go for it. I encourage you, if that's a desire of your heart and you want to do it for Jesus, go for it. Like Kyle said, do it to the glory of God and uh, have that mindset to be an asset to those around you and um, the people around you. That, will, that circle will only grow as you as you continue to to do that and do that for real and, and not just for the credit, but uh, just just to bless other people. So yeah, that's right. Well, thank you for yeah. your time today, Kyle. Any any final remarks? Yeah, uh, I just want to piggyback on one thing you said there that I was going to try to weave into the conversation that I missed. Um, mm. to, to anyone who is just wrestling with, you know, how to live, walk as, as a Christ follower, and then that feels maybe the burden to what career path they're going to go into, or, or maybe they're in a career change or something. I heard a great sermon uh, years back when I was in college, uh, and the pastor basically talked about, I think we as humans always view God with like a you know, like a, a dart board up in heaven and there's a bullseye in the center and he's just standing there watching us making these decisions with our lives and hoping we hit the bullseye and the exact thing that he has um, ordained for us in our lives. And I think we really, really handcuff ourselves and give ourselves undue burden. And I think that's actually Satan's influence in our lives, making us feel like we are going to screw up God's plans if we don't hit the bullseye with our decision making and our career paths and decisions. God's will for our lives is not a bullseye. It is we're not going to ruin his plans if we don't pick the exact career path. You know, if I, if I had picked something else and not been a fighter pilot, guess what? God would have used me in that Avenue as well. Um, and we don't, you don't ministry is everywhere. You don't have to necessarily um, go be a missionary to, to Thailand or whatever, to be achieving God's call in your life. Like they need, we need Christians everywhere. Um, and so, yeah. so don't, handcuff yourself to feeling like you got to hit the bullseye and if you don't you're gonna screw up god's plans and he's gonna abandon you because uh no matter where he's leading you or where you feel called you're probably feeling that calling because that's where where he wants you to go even if it means being a fighter pilot um because at initial glance it doesn't feel like the the place to go as a christian but um anyway yeah so that's so that's good it. so good well thank you kyle i think awesome. this is a great place to land the plane and uh for everyone who's watching or listening or by podcast uh, thank you so much for your time and attention and uh, go and do likewise, expand the, the kingdom of God and sharing the light of Christ uh, wherever he may call you. Thanks for joining us. I want to encourage you to please like this show, subscribe to the channel and comment in the comments below. I want to hear what hit you, what helped you, what blessed you. And if you have any questions, please put them in the comments. We'd love to hear your questions, especially questions regarding how to hear God's voice, how to step into your calling, and how to more faithfully, powerfully represent Jesus in love and the power of the Holy Spirit to the world around you. Please put those comments there. We look at the comments to help us develop more content that really serves you wherever it is that God's called you.